Thank you, Pastor Connie. Authentic friendship, that's what I understand the theme is for the next uh, Promise Keepers. Sounds like a good theme, especially when I'm preaching on my friend today. <laughs> so we need to keep praying for the church board as they continue to go through the uh, process of you know, interviewing and listening to the Lord and God listening to all of our prayers that God's choice will be made. Amen. And also to pray that God will lead you in the nominations for a new church board members that we'll be voting on near the end of the last Sunday in April. Well, I put this little pin on my lapel. A few years ago, my pastor, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, George Tunks, was with me on a Sunday. I invited him to come and preach to my congregation. He's he's just a tremendous preacher, and I've respected him so much. And when he came to the church, he had this little lapel pin on. And it said, Jesus is my friend. I hadn't seen it before. So I commented on it and I said, I really like that. that I like to wear that one, you know, instead of maybe turn or burn or something like that, you know, on there. But anyway, he says to me this, surprised me. He says, I got this from Don Cherry, Hockey Night in Canada. And so Pastor George Tunks was good, uh, I should say, he got very close to Don Cherry when Don Cherry's wife, Rose, was battling cancer and passed away. And so Don Cherry had these pins made up because he said, that's what Jesus meant to me in my toughest time when my wife, the love of my life, was dying. Jesus is my friend. Isn't that wonderful? Great story. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says, He that makes many friends does so to his own destruction, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Another translation, the ESV says much the same thing, but it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. From Proverbs 10 all the way to 24, it's evident as you read through those chapters, the 15 of them, that that what Solomon is doing is he's writing words of advice, words of warning, words of encouragement to younger people than himself. And he highlights various subjects. And one of the subjects that he highlights every so many Proverbs is this whole area of friendship, how important it was to have the right kinds of friends. And so he warns them that a man of many companions can come to ruin. But there is a special kind of friend, one that sticks closer than a brother. Think about that. Closer than your brother or sister, if you have one. Closer than that. There is that kind of a friend. On this communion Sunday, and by the way, I changed things up a little bit. And so... I change things up on Communion Sunday because what I want is communion to be the central focus. The message, of course, I trust, as we talk of Christ, will bring our hearts to a place where we're now ready for communion, perhaps, than we were just after we worshipped and all of that. Instead, worship 
will just build on this and lead us to that time in the service where we have communion together. And we take those emblems that you received when you came in here that represent the body and the blood of Christ and the sacrifice that he made 2,000 years ago. And when we do that at the end of the service, as uh, Brother Joel has mentioned, and, and Connie, I guess it was Connie, said, Pastor Connie said, we will have prayer. If you are here today and we come to the time of communion, after communion, if you want prayer, then I ask you to come forward. Prayer for healing, prayer for encouragement, just somebody to be a friend and stand beside you. So that's what we're going to do. So Proverbs 18, it's kind of obvious which friend I'm going to talk about today. Jesus, right? <laughs> My friend kind of obvious. So what does Proverbs 18 have to do with the Gospels and the revelation of Jesus Christ that we're given there? It would appear that something that was written nine centuries before Jesus actually came, this true friend, this ideal friend, Jesus came. I want you to think for a moment with Solomon. He is born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's a prince, David's son. And so, so Solomon, how could he write this from personal experience? Think about it. When you're up there, how do you know that person that says, I'm going to be your best friend, is really doing so because they want to be your best friend and they don't have any wrong motives? What if all of a sudden you're not the king anymore? Would that person still be your best friend? And so I have this idea that what we see here in this proverb is the picture of the ideal friend. Remember, Solomon was given by God all knowledge and the greatest wisdom. He is the wisest man and, as far as I know, the most knowledgeable man that ever lived because God gave him that. And God gave it to him, and people from all over the world just came to listen to him speak on all kinds of subjects, regardless of what it was. He was an incredible person. And God gave him that kind of insight and that kind of knowledge. And I think what Solomon is doing here is he's saying, this is the ideal friendship. I think Solomon could have said, I don't know from personal experience, but what knowledge I have of this friendship, this is what I think a true friend, an ideal friend is. Now you can agree with me or disagree. Proverbs chapter 4 Solomon said there, you know, I want you to listen to what my father said to me, that would be David, and my mother, Bathsheba, said to me when I was the only child. And then he goes on and gives them all these instructions that they gave to him when he was just this little one. Maybe in one of those conversations, either David or Bathsheba made reference to this wonderful person relationship that David had with Jonathan. In the Bible, I think that's the closest that I could think of to an ideal friend. They would die for each other. But I don't know if that's what was in Solomon's mind when he's putting forth this ideal friend. But we had to wait nine centuries, from 950 or so BC until Jesus Christ came to earth to see the revelation of the true friend, the ideal friend incarnate, Jesus Christ, our best friend. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so today, as we prepare our hearts for that time of communion, 
then we're going to focus on that. But let's look at this verse in Proverbs one more time. There's two Hebrew words that you'll notice in the, this particular one. I see they're not there, but anyway. So it says, a man of many companions, and then there it is. And this word here is different. You see, some versions say a man of many friends, but there is a friend. But in the Hebrew, it's two different words. And what the Proverbs is really saying to us, Solomon is saying, there is a person who is a rea, a friend, an associate, an acquaintance. They could be a very good friend, a rea, a very good friend. But let me tell you about another friend, a lover is a better translation, someone who loves me. And Ahab is the way you would say that if you were a Hebrew. Ahab, my, my best friend, my lover. And that's what we see in that verse. The true number one quality in any friendship is love. And the number one expression of true friendship is adherence, loyalty. And he says here, this friend will stick, will adhere closer than even your closest brother, your own flesh and blood. Well, I know it's been said at the heart of every person, every one of us here and every person in the world, includes all of us, that there is this longing for a friendship. It's just the way we are created. We were created to have relationship, not just with God, but with one another. And so I kind of believe that's a good quote. And I think this morning, it even includes those of you that might be here that say, well, I'm kind of a loner, and I kind of enjoy my own company. <laughs> well, I think even if you're like that, and I can be a little bit like that, being raised in the country, being quite a bit older than the next sibling that came along, four girls, I spend a lot of time by myself. And I don't mind my own company, especially now, because my company, I'm never alone. I have my best friend, Jesus Christ, with me wherever I am. Someone said it's a little difficult in the summer days, June, July, August, to distinguish between the acquaintance and the friend until you get to January and February. Then you'll find out who your real friend is. Makes sense. You know, it's easy to... It's not easy to know where your friends are when the sea is calm and everything's smooth and reflects heaven's beauty. But when the sky is overcast and the Eurachlodon, that northeaster that swept across the Mediterranean Sea and nearly, well, it did swamp Paul and all his friends. When that comes, who is your friend during those times? You know, even the book of Job talks about friends. Now, these friends of Job were something else. Everything happened to Job that was terrible. It says that each one came from their own place. They left their own home, and they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one said anything to him. Boy, those are friends, right? <laughs> but do you know what's interesting? When you look at that particular passage of Scripture, it basically says that they were, the first word, rea. They were acquaintances. They were not the true lovers, the true friends, the ideal friend, even that. 
Well, it's not hard as you read the rest of the book of Job to understand, yeah, sure enough, <laughs> wouldn't you know it? As soon as they opened their mouth, they started to tell him all the things he was doing wrong. They didn't believe him when he said, I haven't sinned. Now, so that gives you an idea. Even those good friends, we have a lot of good friends. But this morning, I want to glorify, I want to lift up the, the name of Jesus, the very best friend, my friend, and I hope the friend of each and every one of us that are here today. The kind of friend that you can lean on, right? You know, there's a, a picture of the Sea of Galilee on the, on the screen, and around it are all these reeds. And I can see Jesus coming to Peter when his name is Simon, and he's saying, Simon, you're just like a reed. If anybody leans on you, they're just going to fall. <laughs> but I'm going to call you Rocky, right? Forget Simon Johnson. You're no longer Simon Johnson. You're Rocky, Peter the Rock. And so Peter, with the help of the Holy Spirit, became the rock. Rather lean on an old, gnarly old stick to get me up that hill than a reed, of course. And that's the kind of friend that we're talking about today. It's hard to face the burdens and bear the storms that we do face in this life. I'd rather have a gnarly old stick than a hundred butterflies that are all around me until the weather changes and then they're gone. So this is a great philosophy of friendship that we see here in this particular scripture. But when Solomon said, there is an ahab, there is a lover friend that sticks closer than a brother. He was stating this high ideal that Jesus Christ completely and absolutely fulfilled this highest and very best friend that our minds could ever imagine, that the wisest man and most knowledgeable man in the world could ever conjure up. Jesus Christ fulfilled that ideal friendship, and he's my friend, and I know him, and he sticks with me closer than a brother. Hallelujah. I'm not talking of today as some kind of a parrot. I went to a book and I got some ideas about what Jesus means to other people and I'm just echoing it today. But I am not an echo. I am a voice of a first-hand witness. I am an eyewitness. I have experienced the love of Jesus Christ that is so rich, that is so deep, and he is such a marvelous person that I can't keep it to myself. And I just thought before we go to communion today, let's think about this best friend that we have and we read about in the scriptures. You know, there's a lot of people listening to this today, or should be, that are in this city of Toronto that are lonely. One of the loneliest moments for a lot of people is when they land in Pearson and there's no one there to greet them. It's a lonely feeling. I remember landing in Accra, Ghana, and the person I was told would be there to meet my wife and I with a sign, you know, Reverend Tom Quinn, would be there, I'd be okay, and all of a sudden, no one's there. And we're wandering around, wondering, lonely, talk about lonely, feeling alone. Well, how much more so to people, I had a home to go back to, how much more so people that come to our country, men and women in Toronto who are alone and the mission of this church is to seek those that are lonely souls and to introduce them, if they don't already know him, to Jesus Christ, 
the best friend, the one who sticks closer than a brother. You know, someone told me something once that I just made so, I just could relate to it. Because I've traveled up north along Hudson Bay, and I've actually basically flown over. I would never take a boat on Hudson Bay. When I was pastoring uh, or looking after the churches, we had to send the barge with, with one, one trip a year from Moosonee up the Moose River, up James Bay, up Hudson Bay to Fort Severn. They left in September because then the icebergs would pretty well be out of Hudson Bay. But they had to get back before the end of September because the ice was already forming. And so imagine that. This, this is like it's 550 kilometers from Moosonee to Piawanek, which is way up there on the Hudson Bay. And then it's another 180 kilometers to Fort Severn. And this guy told me that one time he was let off on a boat halfway. And he said that they told him there would be another boat coming to get him. And he said he watched the other boat go out of sight on the horizon. And he said, I never felt so lonely in all my life. And having seen that barren place up there where there are only polar bears and other things that are not human, this is the experience he had. So thank God if you're not alone today, and just bear with me if you listen to my sermon. So first of all, let me tell you about my friend, my friend, first of all, loves me. John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, to my unutterable surprise, seriously, when I got saved, God visited me. And I knew that God loved me. I was surprised. I wasn't expecting that. I thought maybe if I was good enough and served him properly, I'd get to heaven and then I would see him and know him. But the moment I asked Jesus Christ into my life and confessed that Jesus was my Lord, instantly Jesus came into my heart and he hasn't left me in over 50 years. Hallelujah. God loved the world so much. And you might sit there and say, yes, He's my friend, and think, well, God is my friend. He gave his son. Well, listen to the rest of it. God demonstrated, number two, God, not only does he love me, God also died for me. I know this is sort of like ABCs, but I just like talking about it. <laughs> I'm going to do communion. My friend died for me. John three fifteen verse 13 says, Greater love is no man than this, but that he lay down his life for another. Jesus demonstrated his love to us. It says in Romans chapter 5, that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Jesus died for us. He explains it, as I said earlier, greater love is no one than this, that he would die for his friends. The greatest conception of love, and I want you to climb a little higher with me today. The greatest conception of love, and there's no more supreme love picture than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross. He loves us. I was arrested by this love. I was surprised by this love. Like C.S. Lewis said, when he gave his heart to Christ in the upper 
deck of a two-story bus in London somewhere. He said, I was surprised by joy. Hallelujah. Salvation. There's nothing like salvation. Jesus Christ. You know, we're God-fleers. We're not God-seekers. Victor Shepherd used to say to us at Tyndale when he would be teaching us theology, he said, I was arrested on my flight from him. Do you know that we do not seek God? We flee God. The reason I say that is because there's two Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 14 and 53. You look them up sometime. There's hardly a word different. They're just like, what, was this a mistake? In those verses in Psalm 14 and 53, you'll see the words like this. There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one that seeks God. God's trying to get the message to us that he seeks us, and we are fleeing him, and while we're fleeing him, he catches us. Hallelujah. He catches us. And just to make sure we got the point, Paul the Apostle in Romans 3 quotes those verses again. There is none righteous, no, not even one. Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. It's in the scripture so clearly. And even on my flight from God, Jesus died for me. My friend died for me. Even when I wasn't even thinking about him or caring about him, he died for me. He laid down his life for me. Shakespeare once said, Love is not love that alters when alteration finds. Hallelujah. When I fail, my friend still loves me. My friend never leaves me. G. Campbell Morgan was visiting a senior citizen in his church when he was pastoring, and he came to the last verses of uh, Matthew 28, where Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples before he's taken away into heaven. And he says those words, I will never leave you. I will be with you to the very end. And G. Campbell Morgan, wanting to reassure this dear old saint, said, isn't that a great promise? And she fired right back and she said, Sonny, that's not a promise. That's a fact. Hallelujah. It's a fact. Isn't that beautiful? In Acts chapter 1, he doesn't leave us. Jesus, you know, remember the guys on the Emmaus Road? They're walking along and they, Jesus appears to them, but they don't know it's him. And he talks to them and they say, oh, we thought he was going to be this Messiah and all this. And then he does appear, and he appears to 500 at once. He appears to Peter. He appears to the disciples, 11 of them. He appears to them and others as well. And then they're on this mountain, and off he goes again. And he's in heaven, and they're left standing there. Does he leave them there? He's hardly out of sight and he gets to heaven, I'm just imagining this. He gets to heaven and says, hey, you two guys, go down there, talk to them. I, don't, I want them to know I haven't left them. And two men, men, I don't know if they're angels or men, it says men, appeared, and they said to them, what are you looking up there for? This same Jesus that you saw go away, he's going to come back again. <laughs> Never leave us. Jesus said, but go to Jerusalem and wait, 
let me tell you, I'm going to send a friend, like a friend, the Holy Spirit. Talk about a friend. You know, I like the hymn books and the choruses, most of them, and most of the hymns, not lumping them different, two different categories, because they emphasize the love of God and the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's a few hymns that call upon the Holy Spirit to to move and to help. But the Holy Spirit, I just have this feeling that when we start to pray to Him and pay attention to Him, He just, no, 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 I'm not here for me. I am here to reveal Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Savior of the world to you. Amen? That is His primary purpose. And I think sometimes we cause Him to run and hide. Because he's here for only one reason. We're here for only one reason. Jesus Christ, amen. He's going to come back to this world. He's going to rule and reign one day from Jerusalem. So they thought they were left behind. But Jesus, he never forgets those. Which brings me to my next point. There's a whole philosophy in this Old Testament scripture that says the butler forgot Joseph. If you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. Joseph is in prison for a number of years. Two men have a dream. One's a butler and the other's a baker. He gives them the interpretation of their dream. And to the baker, he said, you're going to die tomorrow. But to the butler, you're going to be restored to your office. But remember me when you get before Pharaoh. Did he remember? Oh, yeah, two years later, he remembered. Hallelujah. Jesus never forgets us, does he? He never forgets us. He left them that day. The heavens swallowed him up. And immediately he sent two messengers. And then they waited for a few hours in Jerusalem. And he sent the Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. He does not forget us. He doesn't forget you ever. He loves you. He's committed to you. Never deserts us. He's also... An advocate for sinners, Jesus. It says in Hebrews chapter 7, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Let me read to you some words from an old hymn. Wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Dying for me, dying for me. There on the cross, he was dying for me. Now in his death, my redemption I see. All because Jesus was dying for me. The fourth verse is the one I wanted to mention. Living for me, living for me. Up in the skies, right now, Jesus is living for you and for me. Daily, he's pleading and praying for me. For me. All because Jesus is living for me. Hallelujah. 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 We kind of get this idea. He sat down at the right hand of God. Yeah, he sat down, but he also stands and he pleads pleads the blood of Jesus 
pleads for us daily. He's praying. What kind of a friend is that? 2,000 years he's been praying for those that are his. Hallelujah. No friend like that. Praise for us. You know what? My friend rebukes me sometimes. You ever had God rebuke you? He wouldn't be a friend if he didn't, right? He rebukes me. He tells me in the deepest parts of my life, those hidden from you, the things that I do wrong. And when he does, I don't like it at all. As a matter of fact, I try to make excuses sometimes. I try to run away from it. But the paradox of this relationship with my best friend is this. He never gives up. He patiently refuses to make peace with any unholy thing that's in my life. My friend, he does that. Hallelujah. What a friend we have in Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. This great friend. You know what he also does? He praises me. He commends me. Some of you just, I don't know, God doesn't do that. When I get to heaven, he's going to say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Do you know, there's times when he commends us. You ever felt that you just blew it, maybe? Or all of your work has been in vain, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit envelops you, and the presence of Jesus is there, and he says, good job. Good job. You go through the most difficult time and maybe you've ever gone through. And you're on the other side of it or coming out of it. And you haven't cursed God. You haven't walked away from him. He praises us. The well done is not just for the last day, is it? Right now he comes and he comforts us. Oh, this friend that sticks closer than anyone else. He strategically praises us. You know, I've been around people who like to flatter. There was this guy who called himself a prophet, and everybody else seemed to think he was. Well, I met with him, and yeah, he could read my mail, so to speak, but he never said one negative thing to me the whole time. And in my spirit, I remember the proverb that says, beware of the one who flatters with their mouth. And I listened to them read the mail of other people, and it was always good, good, good. I know what's really going on. But this friend's strategic. I used to coach hockey. Not the big league stuff, you know, of course, and not the official out-of-town teams, but just the house league, you know. Didn't have the time for the other anyway. But once I was uh, left with a bit of a dilemma, my son's team had no coach. The coach didn't decide he didn't want to coach the team. He didn't think the players were the best of the six or eight teams they chose. So I was elected, more or less I volunteered. And then a couple other guys said, okay, we'll help you too, a couple other dads. So I really didn't like giving out medals at the end of each game. I didn't mind saying this is the first star maybe. But I didn't like that other medal, the participation. Participation, sorry. I didn't like that one. They called it other things like, uh, what did they used to call it? They called it the most sportsmanlike player. And we were supposed to give it to the player who played the least 
who, who, who wasn't a good player, couldn't skate, you know. Ah, oh, come on. He feels worse after he gets it than he did before, right? Oh, that stupid mentality of the 70s and 80s, still with us today. Have a whole generation waiting for their boss to tell them how good they are and never tell them that they do anything wrong. It's poor millennials. It's not their fault. It's our fault, right? Well, anyway, what am I doing? Sorry. That was a rant, I guess. So, anyway, I had all these players... And I gave them each a medal at the end of the year. And every medal had engraved on it something unique. And I watched them through the year. And when I gave that medal, their parents knew whether it was a attaboy. We know you're really, you're just stink, you know. No, it wasn't that. Each one, I made a medal that was true. They were the most improved left defensemen. They were the most defensive right defensemen. They were the most, the top scorer. They were this, they were that. Everyone was unique. And when they came up to get that, they knew that they had earned it. Strategic praise. Jesus knows how to come alongside and give us one of those attaboys, girl. Amen? He's a wonderful, wonderful friend. He's tender. He's gentle. King David said, in Psalm 18, your gentleness has made me great. Whatever. What does that mean? But really, one of the versions, although it's not a proper translation, took the idea and said, you stooped down to make me great. That's what God did on the cross. Do you realize how great we are in God, in Christ? All the glory to him but he has made us great. So David said, God stooped down. Your gentleness has made me great. Gentleness is the right word. My friend is so gentle that he might even crush me if he came into my life and intruded me. He might blind me with his glory, but he doesn't. He bends over. The one who has to bend over to look up at the stars, bent over to earth to save me. While I was on my flight from God, he seized me, arrested me, and he poured out his life. Even when I was a sinner, even after when I'm a Christian, he doesn't make any peace with anything that's not right in my life. What kind of a friend is that? There is no other friend but Jesus. Oh, my friend waits for me. Waits. Imagine the king of the universe, waiting for me. He does. He's patient. He said to the church in Laodicea that had shut him out, to the church, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. You know, if we were Jesus, we would have kicked the door down. What are you doing, you numbskulls? Come on. You think you're rich? You're not rich, etc. He waits for me. My friend is strong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His name is Mighty Tower. And my friend is a mighty tower. And that time that I am afraid or I am weak, I run to the tower and I am safe. Hallelujah. What a great friend we have. When myself or my sin or Satan trip me up, and they all do from time to time, the Lord comes along puts his calm hand on my shoulder 
even though he's strong, he's gentle. What's it? And myself, even myself is conquered. And if I have a part of my life that's like a gateway that I've allowed something wrong to come in, he comes to that gateway or that door in my life. And you know what he does? He helps me. Because I say to him, I am weak. I can't do this. I'm too, too weak. He comes, and in my weakness, he gives me strength. And he makes that door the strongest door in my life. Hallelujah. He fortifies it. And it becomes a place where I can testify to the goodness of this Lord that we serve. Hmm. Uh, my friend is rich. All the keys hang on his belt. Amen. Every key, not just the keys of death and hell. He said to the disciples, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. He is gives the keys of wisdom, the keys of knowledge, the keys of light, the keys of love. Let me read to you something I came across in my studies preparation. It's just beautiful in this idea of the richness of God and how rich he is. There is never a hillside of flowers, but, they, but that they exist through they do not exist except through his power. There is never a glorious sunset that flames upon my vision, but that his hand has painted it. There is no music worth the name music, but that he presided over its first thinking. No color, but that is an expression of my friend's beauty. I am seeing him increasingly as the days go by in all the colors of life, and in all the grace forevermore, and in all the somberness, my friend owns the world. And I am finding out that you can introduce me, anything to me, that in itself is essentially beautiful, but I find that at the heart of that beauty is my friend, that he sits as king. You cannot bring me to anything that's worth having in the world, mental, moral, of music, of literature, but that I find that my friend will lead me to a deeper and deeper place and swing that door even a little wider and fling the horizon a little further back. Isn't that beautiful? Just, I was just there thinking, this is Jesus. This is the Lord that I know. This is the one who saved me. You know, and when this life of mine, which is now chained to time and space, will end, I'll find out that he is also the Lord of eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Finally, my friend is generous. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, the believers in Ephesus, and he said, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes enlightened or opened up so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in you. Hmm. Paul did not pray that those Ephesians would see how rich they were now that they were God's children, Christ's disciples, his followers. He said, I want you to understand that in the heart of God, I pray that you would understand what his glorious inheritance is in you. Doesn't that blow your mind? I think, well, I'm going to work hard. He's going to, this is my reward. No, he considers us his reward. 
as Brother Paul said in the Bible class today, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. Hallelujah. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. Perhaps you're lonely today. Jesus, best friend, I trust that you will turn your heart to him and make your, him your best friend. Greater love has no one than this, but that he would lay down his life for his friends. It says in the scripture, but you are his friends if, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For what I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Worship team, could you come and I'm just going to share with you a poem before they come and sing some songs again that will glorify this wonderful friend that we have, amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand together, prepare for, for the Joel and others to come and lead us. I'll just step over here for a moment, try not to be in everybody's way. Hallelujah. Oops. My friend, my friend, Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. <laughs> Behold, a stranger at the door. He gently knocks, has knocked before. Has waited long, is, still wait, is waiting still. You use no other friends so ill. But he will prove a friend indeed. He will, the very friend you need. The friend of sinners, yes, tis he, with garments dyed red at Calvary. O lovely attitude, he stands with melting heart and open hands. O matchless kindness, and he knows this matchless kindness even to his foes. Admit him before his anger burn, lest he depart and ne'er return. Admit him at the hours for the, or the hours at hand when the door denied you'll stand. Admit him for the human breast, ne'er entertain so kind a guest, nor no mortal tongue their joys can tell with whom he condescends to dwell. And finally, sovereign of souls, thou prince of peace, oh, may thy gentle reign increase. So throw open the door, each willing mind, and be his empire all mankind let's just worship the lord hallelujah let's lift our hands let's thank jesus for being this marvelous and amazing friend hallelujah 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 our savior our keeper jesus for every soul that's in this place today that knows him knows my friend as their friend today our hearts are lifted up there is no other friend that sticks close there is no other friend like Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's going to take us all eternity to be able to understand the love of God, how wide it is, how great it is. But today we have a glimpse of a few things that this person, Tom Quinn, has thought of. But oh God, the depths of the riches, hallelujah, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Beyond our understanding on earth, oh God. Thank you, God, that we have all eternity to discover the depths and the riches of the love of Jesus. But for now, we lift our hands to you, our voices to you in worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 
Hallelujah to the Lion of Judah. Hallelujah to our Savior. Hallelujah to our best friend. 